Blake's going to come and uh, pray for us this morning and introduce, uh, is it Light? Kirk? Light, Kirk Light, Lightfield. Lightfield, yes. We are thankful for this day and the opportunity we have today to come into your presence, Lord. We are thankful for um, your word, and we are thankful that this morning all around the world your, your name is being proclaimed. And so, God, we want to pray for our services today. May our services here uh, bring glory and honor to you. May you speak boldly through our pastor uh, that uh, your word will be proclaimed. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. A hey, part of uh, this morning, David is uh, out on vacation, so he asked me to do the announcements. <laughs> yeah, it'll never be the same. Anyway, there is a, um, a connection card. It used to be white, but now it's blue. So if you're visiting with us today or uh, been here two or three times, have never filled this card out, you've missed the drawing for the new car, for the new car we give away uh, <laughs> once a quarter. And so uh, you need to make sure you, you fill out a card. We will uh, uh, pass the offering plate a little bit later in the service, and you can fill that out, help us to know that you've been here. And also, we've added a new card that's like this, and it is a prayer card. And uh, if you've got a special prayer request or something that you want the church to be praying for, uh, we meet every week and we pray through these cards. And so uh, uh, do that, and both of these can be put in the offering plate as it's passed in, in just a little bit. Uh, as you guys have known, we are, uh, we'll be going to Guatemala this summer. Uh, we're going to be taking two teams this year. And one of our teams uh, uh, will be going and, and serving with Kirk and Michelle Lightfield. Uh, they have been in Guatemala for, for quite a few years. And uh, they are serving with a ministry called Salt and Light Ministries. And uh, he's going to share just a few minutes about what that is. But we're going to kick that off with the video. So after the video, he will uh, come and speak for a moment. Or two or three missionaries are like pastors, who knows. And so um, uh, we will we'll do that. So welcome to our services today. And we are so glad that you are here. I woke up this morning. Saw a world full of trouble now. I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? Somebody else will do something 
First Baptist Ozark. You guys help support us, which has, allows us to do some of the things you saw in the pictures there. Building homes, providing food, meeting needs of the families is all a part of doing something. And thank you for your cooperation in helping enable us to do something. I'd like to tell people one of the best ways to share the gospel is by meeting physical needs. When we meet the physical needs of people, they're very open to what we have to share. And I think God, God models that through Jesus' life of going about meeting the needs of the people and then talking about the kingdom. And I love that model for how, how ministry should be done. And uh, we're excited to be here. We won't take long. Um, I tell people I have a, I'm a, have a bit of a hearing problem. So when Blake said I had four to five minutes, I thought he said 45. So, you know, no. <laughs> I won't do that to you, Pastor, I promise. But we're just happy to be here in Ozark visiting with you guys. It's been a great week so far, and uh, we've got our table set up out back. There's some great Guatemala coffee back there and some other things. So stop by and visit with us when you, when you get done with service here. But give the pastor full attention. Don't cut out early. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Fifteen years ago, I turned in a card. I'm still waiting on my car, Blake. Yeah, I didn't win. So, folks, I hope you don't take him serious about that. That's, please don't, all right? Hey, this, this morning, that's what you get when you get Blake, right? Anyway, this morning, back to our serious note, why we're here, right, is to worship the Lord. We're going to be singing songs about unity, the Father's love for us. Because of his love for us, we ought to be unified. And Brother Phil's been preaching about that. And so I really want us to focus on what we sing this morning. We'll be singing the church's one foundation.
take our offering. We begin to uh, pass the plates again, and our offertory today will be you. We're going to be singing uh, during the offertory, how, uh, how Deep the Father's Love for Us. So ushers, if you'll come forward, please, and let's pray for our offering today. Father, you are a great and glorious God. We are so unworthy. We're an unworthy, uh, unworthy people, Lord, as we, as we come before you uh, we know that our singing, Lord, we want it to come from our heart. We want our praise to be perfect. We want everything to be just right. And yet, we know that we're flawed and we're human. And yet, out of your great love and mercy, if it comes from our heart, Lord, you accept our worship uh, because it's all we have to give. And I pray that we would always remember what you've done for us, the great grace that you've given us, the great unity in Christ that you've given your church. And Father, I pray that we'd put aside all... Uh, bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking as Ephesians tells us Lord and that we would be unified in one in Christ and lift up our voices and give you the praise that you deserve I also pray as we offer this offering to you Lord that this would also be a sacrifice of praise to you because of all that you've given to us Lord we want to give back to you as good stewards we want to ask these things in your most glorious and gracious and holy and precious name amen How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure.
cross. Behold the Lamb upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was a to stop for a minute you know I kind of goofed up there and, I, and, it, and it was for a good reason though that's a quick turnaround and I knew it was a quick turnaround it's in my notes but you know what my mind got stuck on it is finished I couldn't get it out of my mind and I forgot all about the turnaround you know that's okay though because it is finished and if it wasn't we'd be in a whole world of hurt and so I'm glad the Lord even made my mind stick on that this morning. And I hope you think about that too. The last thing we sing before Pastor comes, we are the body of Christ. A, a great song to think about uh, from what he's been preaching. One voice to praise you. We are the body of Christ. One goal, one vision to see you exalted. We are the body of Christ. See you. 
All right, make your way to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's study the Word of God together. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4. We shall begin reading in verse 17 today. We're going to talk about faithful Christian living. In actuality, it flows down through chapter 5, verse 2. You realize that in the Greek text, there are no chapter headings, right? They've been supplied for you, and really, contextually, this particular teaching segment goes from 4.17 through 5.2. You would not want me to preach all that in one setting, all right? But we will seek to go from 17 down through verse 24. Let's give attention to God's Word. Let's read together. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart, their hardness of heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your, old, to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to put on and to, be, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Clothes say a lot about a person. Don't they? Yeah, Mark Twain said, clothes make the man. And he also added this, naked people have little or no influence on society. <laughs> now, living in 2022, whew, uh, anyway, <clears throat> we need to consider that statements like dress for success, that's still good and common advice for our day. If most of us are honest, we give a lot of attention to what we wear. And for some, you care more about style than others, but it's a reality. Speaking of what we wear and clothing, uh, Don Currents has more uniforms than anyone I know of. <laughs> uh, he'll come into the office and he'll have on his chaplaincy, police department chaplaincy uniform. Other days he will have on the safety team uniform. And then the Kiwanis uniform. Now, I don't think Don has that one. But uh, he has his SB uniform on, SBC uniforms on, right? Don wears these. So when we think about a soldier or a fireman or a policeman, when they put that uniform on the first time, what are they doing? They're identifying with responsibilities based upon their identity. The dominant theme in the book of Ephesians happens to be what it means to be with Christ or in Christ. Let your eyes, in my 
with my Bible open, it's just to the left, chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are saved today, that is your identification. You are in Christ Jesus. So, as in the example of the policeman or the fireman, when we are in Christ Jesus, the language of the New Testament many times is that you have put on Christ. It's an example of actual a wardrobe or clothing. So whereas it is not true that physically clothes make the man, it is true spiritually. Because we have been clothed with Christ and these clothes really do make the spiritual man or the spiritual woman. This is what Paul had to say to the Galatians. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is Galatians 3.27. Paul will tell the Colossian believers, you have put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator God. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Now, let your mind go back to how this all started in chapter 4, verse 1. You see that word? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, you ready for the connector to this text? Verse 17. No longer walk. There it is. You know, this is the first time he's picked it back up. He's had this giant parentheses in here. And now he's connecting chapter 4, verse 1 with chapter 1, verse 17. It has to do with the manner of life. Are you all listening? It's the way you conduct your life. It's the way that you actually live. So Paul is saying your identification with Christ should affect the way you live. Common sense, isn't it? It's common sense. So here in chapter 4, verse 17, he's going to reiterate that admonishment. That we are called by God to break away from the old self. And robe ourselves in the newness of Christ and who we are in Him. In other words, this is who you are in Christ. Now appropriate it to life. This is who you are. Now reckon yourself dead to sin, as it would say in Romans 6. And live in this particular way. In other words, when you are in Christ, it necessitates a change in your conduct. When you're in Christ, there's a walk that identifies you as a child of God. So you were brought to faith through this call which united you in full identification with Jesus Christ. Now live like it. Now it's significant that the first thing Paul wants to address with our identification in chapter 4, 1 is the body of Christ. In other words, your identification with Christ makes a difference in how you function in this body this community of believers we have here. Remember that? We are to have humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. But in 17, he picks up with our identification and how that identification affects the way we used to be in the old man. You understand? So not only does it affect our relationships in this building as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it makes a difference in who we are now versus the way we used to be when we did not know the Lord. So Paul deliberately picks up, again, the language of walking. He contrasts this with the lifestyle we have in Christ as believers. So, 
There are two main sentences in chapter 4, uh, 17 through 24. We have 17 through 19 is one sentence. And then the second one is 20 through 24. The first part could be seen more as a doctrinal statement. It's actually giving you prohibitions not to be like something. Not to be like the old person. Okay, And then beginning in verse 20... It's going to go away from who we are doctrinally more to how this is expressed practically in your life. And the practical aspect is going to be given to us in the thinking pattern of life in these three verbs. Learned, heard, and taught. Okay? Are you all ready? Let's go through the text. Number one, faithful Christians do not live like unbelievers. That's pretty self-explanatory from the text. That you no longer walk as Gentiles. The terminology I say and testify, uh, scholars would tell us here that Paul is serious. In other words, he's saying, I solemnly declare to you. Not only is this urgent, but it is very important, right? So the, the admonition is important and it's urgent. And remember, at this point, Paul is what? He's a prisoner. He's in change for the cause of Christ, and he reminds us of the, with the weight of the Lord's authority, this is something you need to think about, contemplate. This is very serious. And here's the content of the first sentence in the section. Notice what it says. That the long, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul's readers had been unconverted Gentiles at one point before they knew Jesus and now he still addresses them as Gentiles but they're Gentiles that are in Christ remember back in chapter 2 verse 15 the Bible would remind us that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace speaking of Jew-Gentile relationship in other words when it comes to knowing Christ we're all new men and women in Christ, and we're all part of this body. So he's reminding them that you were saved out of this former way of life in the futility of your minds, and you were brought into Christ, and you are now a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So they've been raised with Christ. Well, first, you were dead in sins. Then you've been made alive. Then you've been raised with Christ. Then you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places and now you become one new man, and our life is to reflect the character of this new man, which is really Christ Jesus himself that lives in us. So God created us in Christ Jesus unto good works, and he prepared them beforehand. So let us now walk in those good works and show that we are truly a new creation in Christ Jesus. So the point is clear. Do not live. Do not walk. Do not look like non-believers. Don't look like the pagan culture. For some reason, Natalie was singing uh, Johnny Cash this week, I'll Walk the Line. <laughs> she was. She was singing, you know, it pops in your mind, I'll walk the line. Well, why did Johnny Cash write that? Because he had gotten married. I can't remember her name, June something, right? Anyway, he married her, and at that point, he had to be devoted to his wife. So from that point on, I'm going to walk the line. Here it is. When you belong to Christ, you walk the line. Right? There's a new devotion. There's a new allegiance that you have. And so the first hard-hitting comment is the fact that 
when you're not in Christ, life is absolutely meaningless in its views and its perspectives. Listen to the strength of this word. They did so in the futility of their minds. And it communicates a place of location. So in their mind, in that particular sphere, there is emptiness, futility, and purposelessness. In other words, the mind or attitude has to do with the psychological faculties of understanding, of reasoning, and deciding. It speaks of, Paul would call it in Romans 1, the futile mind. And that term, futile, is used in the New Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, this particular word is used of those who did not live in the fear of God. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, and verse 14, and then in chapter 2, verse 1, 11, 15, 17, and 19, it uses that term futile. And what is that? It means that life is vain and purposeless unless it is ordered around God and His purposes. So hear me, young people. Life is absolutely futile, meaningless, unless it revolves around the purposes of God. And so that's the same terminology that Paul uses. And when we combine this term with the mind, it refers to the ability to reason, the capacity to think, to plan, and to make moral judgments and lifestyle choices. I like the way one writer poses it. He says, with one single word, futility, Paul describes the majority of the inhabitants of the entire Greco-Roman world as aiming with silly methods to a meaningless goal. So we see a foolish method aiming at a foolish goal. This is the condition of the feudal mind. And Paul now begins to build upon what he has already said about what it means to be lost and unregenerate and away from Christ, excluded from the life of God. Notice what he says in verse 18. The Bible says, they are darkened in their understanding. Unbelievers, think about this. Again, we're dealing with who you are in Christ, and Paul has given these exhortations to us to tell us what we were before we met Christ. And now we're not supposed to be darkened in our understanding. This word is combined with the mind, and it should be read, having been darkened with respect to their understanding. So the mind and heart are often used interchangeably for the center of human perception. So there's this major contrast between the darkness of unbelievers and the enlightenment given to the hearts of those who know Christ. Remember that in Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. I won't read that. Now, I know this is not popular. It's not a popular thought, but in the construction of the Greek language, it is an emphatic. This will give you, this and 50 cents will buy you a cup of coffee at McDonald's. You ready? It is a paraphrastic understanding or expression. What does that mean? Well, it indicates that the light of their understanding had gone out in such a degree that now they're in a state that is incapable of grasping the truth of the gospel unless there are divine workings from God. God alone can take you out of darkness into light. God alone can do this. So this passage also places not the responsibility on God for the condition, but it actually puts the responsibility on us. It says clearly in verse 19, they have become callous. It is their hardness of heart. So again, 
in sharp contrast to the readers through the enabling power of the spirit of wisdom given to them we're actually able to know God and to know him better our understanding is not darkened it's the light has come on uh, in the wisdom of God for us unbelievers are darkened in their understanding today if you don't know Christ that's your condition you're darkened in your understanding secondly unbelievers are alienated from the life of God verse 18 the Bible says they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God he gives the reason because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart they're separated from the life of God it's interesting that these are both genitives of source in other words have been alienated from the life of God but God himself is the source of the one who gives the life he himself gives life life comes from God there is no spiritual life apart from God this is the life of God that he possesses in himself and this is the life that he actually bestows to his children the next phrase communicates the cause think of this ignorance or lack of discernment this is willful ignorance of God Paul's view of knowledge and ignorance is largely determined by the Old Testament you know y'all do know that Paul was a scholar of the Old Testament he was so to know God meant to have a close relationship with him to, that knowledge not only was a close relationship but it led to a grateful heart to God which then led to an obedient life of the whole person listen close y'all listening that's not just intellectual assent this knowledge of God led forth to obedience to him and submission to who he is and that's why Paul uses this term ignorance is a failure to be grateful and a failure to be obedient that is the connection with the Old Testament so this describes someone's total stance if you're ignorant of God then that's your emotions that's your will that's your actions not just your mental response to God it's everything about you that is ignorant and against God not to know the Lord is to ignore him is to say no to his demands not to know the Lord is not to submit to him at all okay their inability to understand the light of God's truth is no excuse for the broken relationship with him the next phrase proves that responsibility is not finally due to external factors the blame falls squarely on their shoulders look at it due to hardness of heart and it basically is a hardening it conveys dulling or dullness insensibility here's the best word obstinacy It's hardness and insensibility I was reading some commentators and they take that word to mean blindness I don't think that's the case at all I think it refers to the multitude of times in the New Testament consistently as stubbornness at this point it's not blindness it is absolute stubbornness and it signifies that pagan immorality folks is willful and people are culpable of that particular lifestyle away from Christ so the obstinate rejection of the truth of God is the beginning of a terrible downward evil spiral so FF Bruce defines hardening of their hearts as the progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing Wow 
Just think of those terminologies so far. Darkness of the mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And then lastly, unbelievers have become callous. Some of you older folk have any calluses on y'all? We don't want to talk about that, do we? Chris Thixton's preaching over, I think, at First Baptist Billings this morning. And uh, Chris Thixton, I have to say this about him, he just freaks out when somebody shows him a foot, right? He's just, you know, bare feet just freak him out, right? Well, what do you get? And Timothy's agreeing. He doesn't like that either. But you get them bunions on the side, and you, they, them things look ugly. I mean, the Scripture says how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. I am an exception, all right? <laughs> you know that's not what that means, but I am an exception for sure. But the word callous means to be dead of feeling. It means to be despondent. This could literally refer to skin that has become callous and no longer feels pain. Folks, this is a condition of lost people without Christ. Darkened in their mind, willful ignorance, obstinacy, stubbornness against God, and then absolutely callous. It's to lose the capacity to feel any shame or embarrassment. So with a lack of this moral feeling and discernment, there's no restraints to the depths of disregarding God. So the way that is it's actually fronted with emphasis. In other words, their own initiative drives them into immorality. The term sensuality is actually self-abandonment. It's the lack of self-restraint. It involves one whose conduct violates the bounds of what is socially acceptable. Boy, what do we see today, folks? It's, it's un, unbelievable. And it's probably best understood, okay, as undisciplined behavior, especially when it has to do, not, it's not exclusively that, but especially when it has to do with sexual nature. We don't have to look too far for this one, do we? Yep, yep. So note this last phrase, to practice so as to indulge. God gives men and women over to the debased behavior which they gladly choose. They actually gladly indulge in this behavior. So this is a continual lust for more. Just think about this, folks. It's the insatiable desire to participate more and more with all kinds of forms of immorality. And ultimately, it becomes this vicious circle because new perversions are looked to in order to replace the old ones. Folks, just look at our TV. Just look at our media. Just look at our world to see this. It is the insatiable desire to participate more and more with all kinds of forms of immorality. So they lack moral restraint. That leads to sexual obsession and a total perversion of the way that God made his people. So I'd encourage you to go and compare this text with Romans 1, 18 through 32. Just write that down. Romans 1, 18 through 32. Compare it with Galatians 5, 16 through 21. And then Ephesians 5, 3 through 12. Compare those together. And these passages will speak of the corrupt nature of the flesh. And how idolatry leads to immorality. Uh, left to ourselves, folks, we are vile. Somebody fall asleep over there and hit something? Yeah. Your head went, what? Right? No. Hope not. Uh, even though some may be less vile than others, all of us are in desperate need of Christ. Can you see that? Through darkened in understanding. 
Can you see that through the ignorance that is in them? Alienated from the life of God. And you've become absolutely free of any pain in regard to anything you do. Total shamelessness. But here's the good news. Chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Aren't you thankful that God can transform anyone? How? By His grace. This was the dark description of the very ones and us, okay? It's not just describing those old rotten Gentiles that Paul brought the gospel to in Ephesus. This was your condition before Christ gave you grace. This was our condition, okay? Here's Paul's point. When we are in Christ, we think differently. That's what's summed up here. Not only do we think differently, we respond to truth differently. And when you're saved, you act differently from the pagan culture. Does that make sense? Don't live like lost people. That, that's the encouragement. Saved people don't live like lost people. Wake up. Do I need to preach that point over again? That was kind of tedious even for me. Don't make me do it again, right? Don't live like lost people. But instead, live according to your identity in Christ. And that's what's picked up in verse 20, verse 20 chapter 4, verse 20. So, look, there's an emphatic contrast. And Paul says it clearly in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And the English doesn't do it justice, but this is an emphatic contrast. It is so clear that there's a different mindset between those who are saved and those who are lost. Are y'all listening? Folks, this is important. As a matter of fact, a little personal testimony. I was struggling at the age of 16 and 17, somewhere in there, was just living the Christian life. Knew that I trusted Christ when I was nine, but there's just struggle going on in my life. I'm around all these buddies at school, and their language doesn't sound godly at all. And you begin to pick up on that stuff. Next thing you know, uh, you're walking in the flesh. And your mind is not focused on the things of God. It is these verses, 20 through 24, that revolutionized my thinking on living the Christian life. And that is coupled with Romans 6. If you're going to ever memorize something for spiritual progress and living for Christ, memorize Romans chapter 6 and these. Why? Because all of living for Christ is a putting off, a renewing of the mind, and the putting on of who we are. If you can ever get that right, it's not, it doesn't mean you're going to be free of problems, but you'll know full well what's going on in the spiritual warfare realm. Right? You will understand this. So this is so important for us. So this is not... Uh, the Christian doctrine that we've learned. The, the Christian doctrine we've learned is not to live like lost people. What we have learned is who Jesus Christ is. So learning Christ means welcoming him as a living person into us. And when you do that, it shapes your life. That's what happens when you learn Christ. What does this mean? We submit to his rule of righteousness. And look, look at the text. Just look at this contrast. But that is not the way you learned Christ. How did we learn him? He's our Lord. Right? We submit to him, to his righteousness, to his commands, and his values 
completely different from the lost condition of the world. His values are totally different. His values are truth and righteousness and holiness. That's, that's what we've learned in Christ. Once we were made alive by grace, through the Holy Spirit and the Word working in us, and we came to faith in Christ, we not only were redeemed by a living person, the Lord Jesus Christ, you're actually shaped by the risen Christ in the very core of who you are. That's real Christianity. Peter O'Brien says the phrase to learn a person appears nowhere else in the Bible. And to date, that word has not been able to be traced anywhere extra-biblically in Greek anywhere. This phrase, learned Christ. So when you become a believer, you don't merely learn about the teaching concerning who Jesus is. Folks, to be saved means you develop a relationship with him. And that's all encapsulated in that word, you have learned Christ. So this is deep, isn't it? I mean, this is good stuff. To know Christ doesn't mean that simply that you know teachings about him, folks. To know him means you know him. It means you're in relationship with him, and it's shaping who you are. So Paul offers a confident assumption here. But this is not the way you learn Christ. Here's a confident assumption. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him because the truth is in Jesus. He's assuming they've heard all these things. They've actually learned him. It's more than just hearing teaching about him. But they actually are in relationship with him. And it's shaping their lives. It is likely that the first verb heard. Y'all see it here? But this is not the way you've learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard uh, most people believe that that means initially when you trusted Christ as Savior. You, faith cometh by. Say it loud. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Most people believe that that particular hearing is the initial response to Christ. Yet the verb taught focuses on the ongoing nature of instruction. Jesus said that, right? He said it. Teaching you, teaching to observe all things Whatever I have commanded you. Folks, this all points to the spiritual sphere in which instruction actually takes place. Is this significant? Well, absolutely, folks. Do you realize that Christ is the personal object of our hearing and our learning? Jesus Christ himself must be the focus of our hearing. As a matter of fact, there is no hearing apart from Christ. And there is no instruction. Paul notes the necessity of hearing about Jesus. Have you come to know Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen? Not just things about him, but have you come to know him? If not, then there's no way to live the new life. And I think our churches are guilty sometimes because they don't preach the gospel enough and the, church, the churches are full of people who don't personally know Christ and we're asking them to live for God. You can't live for God if you don't know Jesus. And it's not just things about him. It's absolutely a personal relationship with him where Christ himself is actually shaping who you are. That's what it means to learn him. So it's a necessity. And how does it begin? It begins with a conversion to Christ. We're caught up sometimes thinking that Christianity is a moral rule of keeping rules. We think Christianity is religious attendance. We think it's having warm, fuzzy feelings. We think that it's to attend a religious event 
or merely believing about God or doing good things or knowing just facts about Christ. But folks, Christianity is about knowing Christ. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. John 17, 3. Why is this important? Because Paul tells you why. As the, what's it say? As the truth. Y'all see it on the page? Why is it important? But that is not the way you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. Folks, what an incredible statement. Did you know that this is the only place that the word Jesus, Asus in the Greek, is actually used by itself. Paul will usually say Christ Jesus the Lord, or Christ the Lord, or Jesus Christ. This is the only place that he actually just says, Asus. It is, it is Jesus. And why does he do this? I think he's deliberate. Are y'all listening? All eyes on me. Listen, listen. He's deliberate here. Why? Because if you haven't trusted the historical Jesus of the Bible, then you don't know Jesus. That's why Paul uses the word Jesus. Why? Because he's deliberate. He's talking about the historical Christ himself. And folks, he is the embodiment of truth. Not to know Christ is not to know truth. And the only way to ever know truth is to have a personal relationship with Christ. Listen to me clearly. The Son of God came to this earth and they called his name Jesus, born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life. He died on a Roman rugged tree, a cross. But here's the deal. He didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead. He came forth alive and he ascended into heaven. That is the historical Christ. That is the truth. The truth is in Jesus. And if you find him, you find truth. It's in Christ. So he that has the Son... Listen, 1 John, he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Why, folks? Because Jesus, the truth is in Jesus. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Paul will close out this sentence with three infinitives. We're going to hit them really fast. Here they are. We have been taught to put off our old self. Listen to the text. To put off your old self. All of us need to do that today, don't we? Do we need to rid ourselves of corrupt practices that belong to the former way of life? I mean, this is discipleship, isn't it? I mean, this is where the truth, the rubber hits the road, right? In mentorship and discipleship. I mean, we need to be forthright and honest to say that we're sinners, and there are certain sins that creep in. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Go over to, to the book of Romans. We're going to do that in just a few moments. I'll show you the connection. But this is in essence a call for an ongoing process of repentance. I mean, some often we think, hey preacher, I took care of the repenting thing 35 years ago. I confessed Jesus, I repented, I'm good to go. Look folks. Every single day of your Christian life existence should involve repentance. Right? It's an ongoing thing. And all three phrases depend on that verb, you were taught. Folks, listen. This is what Paul taught the church of Ephesus. He taught them 
that we are to put off, put off a particular wardrobe, right? Put off a sinful wardrobe and throw it in the laundry hamper. Is that what y'all call it up here in Missouri? You throw it in the basket. Get off those clothes of the old self. The phrase means that we should put off the old man. Or it can carry the imperative mode. You should have put off the old man. So the verb, which is often used for taking off clothing, is used figuratively here for putting off or laying aside sin. Folks, we all need this. We all need to listen to this. We're not supposed to live like the former way of life, but there's this ongoing process every single day of our lives of putting off. Putting off the old. Let me show you a couple of texts. One is just over to the right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to, listen to what the Word says. Chapter 3, verse 8. But now you must put them all away. And he gives an example. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We're going to talk about that next week, right? A little further in. But I love this Romans text. Romans chapter 13. Verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. So for the first thought here is take off the old self and put on the new. Our identity in Christ becomes that vital perspective. That enables you to live the Christian life. Y'all look at me. Some of you are thinking, well, I thought we already have put on Christ. That's exactly right. It is who you are in Christ that motivates you to say to yourself, I must reckon myself dead to these sins. I must reckon myself alive to Christ. Not only are you alive in Him, but you died with Him. Okay? So this is an appropriation every single day. It's the already and the not yet. This is who you are in Christ positionally, and this is the way you are to live your life. In other words, you yield yourself to Christ, and you see these things take place in life. So the indicatives, that work of Christ in you on your behalf, has a resultant change in you. And then there's this call for you every single day to put off. That's why Paul can say, you're saints, positionally. But then he can say, now pursue sanctification. Are y'all getting this? This is who you are. Now this is what you pursue. If you're not the are, you can't pursue it. If, if you're not in Christ positionally as a saint, you can't pursue these things. However, there's going to be a resultant change to your life if you have been raised in Christ Jesus and you belong to him. Paul stresses this very same thing in Colossians 2. Yet at the same time, he turns around and prays for us that we might be filled with the fullness of of God. So there's this already and not yet. There's this old self that's an expression of the old community identity that we used to have versus who we are now in this community of faith here at First Baptist Church. So these sinful traits have to be stripped off. These influences have to be defeated. The old depraved nature, according to this text, is its own deceitful desires. These evil desires stem from deceit. Did y'all know that sin is a deceptive power. You only have to, don't turn because of time, but I'm going to flip over to Romans chapter 6 and just listen to this. Listen to the word of the Lord. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified him with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Folks, this is stuff we need to read every day. When, Lord, the body of sin, that it might be henceforth destroyed. Listen to verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. This is your attitude. God, you set me free from sin. Why should I keep doing it? Right? Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So listen. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. That's how you live for him. Uh, You reckon yourself dead to sin. And you are alive to Christ. Again, the enemy is deceptive. And there's vices. Listen to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It's deceitful. Just like Eve illustrates well with the serpent's deception. The deceitful power of sin stands in opposition to the truth that is in you. Does that make sense? This is who you are in Christ. And sin is in opposition to you in that area. So don't live that way. Number two, we have been taught to be renewed in our minds. Literal rendering in the sphere of the Spirit. And that Spirit there is not the Holy Spirit, although He's the one that does it. It is the Spirit of your mind. God calls you to be renewed. Can you kids think of one great verse that speaks of this? Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Be renewed, transformed in the renewing of your mind. And in application, this is something that happens all the time. It is, it is in a continual action mode that you are being renewed in your mind. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, seek those things which are above. Does that help us renew our minds? You better believe it. We don't set our affections on things below. We set our affections on things above. Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to give attention to our minds for growth and godliness. Christianity doesn't mean you, throw your, you leave your mind outside the door when you come into the church. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say it. Mind and your soul, right? You have to love the Lord our God with our minds. Just stay where you are, but listen to what the Word says about the mind in these verses. I'm in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. The Bible says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same degree from one degree, same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Folks, God is transforming us every single day through the Word and the Spirit in our minds. And this is what Paul is asking us to do. Be renewed in your minds. And chapter 4 verse 16 is a great one. So we do not lose heart. Anybody trying to lose heart with the struggle of sin? Anybody ready to throw in the towel? Paul says we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. How about that? Anybody wasting away in here? I can go ahead and answer that question for you. You are, right? On the outside, we're wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by 
day. That's why you can give up that body when you're 90 years old. But in your mind, the Lord Jesus Christ is renewing you every single day. As a matter of fact, he's transforming you into his son's image to a degree of glory from one to another. All the way down to the end. Outward-wise, we're wasting away. Inwardly, God is renewing our mind and our spirit every single day. And then finally, we have been taught to put on the new self. Put off the old, put on the new. And here's the way it's explained. Through righteousness and holiness. Folks, that's the characteristics of our God. Right? Holiness. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing on the holiness thing? No comments? No comments? How are you doing on the holiness thing? What does that mean? Well, more of your life is being yielded to the cause of Christ and the things of the Lord. And less of it's being given to the things that are listed out here in the old life. And you're becoming more and more like the God that you belong to. And if you're becoming more like Jesus every day, then your life will be characterized by holiness and righteousness. And that's the new self that we're putting on. The new identity. This amounts to a daily growing recognition of truth. Do I have to remind you that it's virtually impossible unless you've memorized the scripture and you're bringing them up every day in your mind. It's virtually impossible to live for God without reading the Bible. You've got to know the truth. It's in righteousness and it is in holiness. This corresponds uh, to Colossians 3 verse 10. Who's doing this work in us? Well, it's the Spirit of God. But you've got to yield yourselves as instruments of righteousness to see this take place in your life. So there's the putting off. There's the renewing of the mind to the Word and the Spirit. And then there's the putting on of who you are, the garments. And what do those garments look like? Holiness. Righteousness. Some scholars believe that righteousness has more to do with how you treat your neighbor And holiness has more to do with how you view your God. I'm telling you, if you view him correctly, you will treat your neighbor right. Uh, Your actions will bring glory to the Lord. Now, I think Colossians 4, 17 through 24 is vital. I hope you all understand this. That this is vital for us. Where does the power come to change your life? It doesn't come from within. It comes from the Lord God. He's the one that changes us as we yield to him. We need new hearts. We need new desires. We need new minds. And this is what we have when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Living the Christian life consists of putting off, remembering we are new creations, and putting on and bringing our lives into conformity to who Jesus Christ actually is. All right. In conclusion, let me tell you a little story. Y'all ready? When I pastored my first church, I think it was probably, well, as a matter of fact, this is my 25th year of pastoring churches. I quit today. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. That's not true. But in 1997, I went to pastor my first church up in North Carolina. It's called Duncan Baptist Church. And I can't remember how it happened or how we even had enough money to buy it. But I had a brand new double-breasted blue suit, and it was styling. Back in the day, you know, you wrap that thing around, double-breasted, you know. It's not as much in style today. But I had this suit, and I was going to wear it on this coming Sunday morning. And I did. 
And boy, I went and slipped. Y'all know me. I went and slipped my feet into my cowboy boots, and I was strutting. I was so happy. I was 27 years old. I get to go up there and preach in a new suit. Well, church ended, and Natalie says, you ain't wearing those boots no more. And I said, why not? She said, well, you know, you got on a new wardrobe. And those boots you're wearing just don't match your wardrobe. <clears throat> she was serious. Because a day later, she comes walking out of the carport, and the top of my boots are sticking out of that box. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're selling my, those things are about $300, but if you buy the wrong kind of boot that, and don't condition it, it don't last long, right? She sold them at a yard sale for $2. <laughs> you know what? But here's what I will say to you. She was exactly right. And the analogy for you is this. Those old boots might feel comfortable. And you love to slide your feet and your life right back into the things that are old. That identify you as the old man. But that's not who you are. It's not who you are. Living that kind of life of the old self does not fit who you are in Christ. That wardrobe must be put off. I didn't like she sold my boots, but she was right. They didn't look good, but I went and got some brand new boots. and did look good. <laughs> all right? All right? Wardrobe. What do you have on, folks? Who are you in Christ? This is important. And I'm telling you, the only way to live the Christian life is to identify yourself as a person, a man or woman of Jesus Christ, having believed by grace through faith. And then from that point on, your life is to be lived by putting off bringing every thought under captivity to the obedience of Christ, right? A putting off and a renewing of the mind can't happen apart from the Word and the Spirit, right? And then this putting on, putting on who you really are, righteousness and holiness. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. And I know this was somewhat tedious, so much involved in the grammar here. And Lord, just trying my best to to give the people what you've said to us in your word. Lord, we need to hear this today. Times are not going to get easier. Lord, our young people are bombarded at school, TV. Lord, there's so many things that do not fit our lifestyle. And Father, garbage in will cause garbage to come out. Lord, may we make a covenant with our eyes. May we think about what we're listening to what we're watching. Lord, help us to be renewed in our minds so that we might put on Christ. Lord, help us in this area. If there's someone under the sound of my voice that's lost, Lord, let them understand today that there's no salvation apart from hearing and learning Jesus. That all truth, you are the way, the truth, and the life. When we offer the gospel, we're not just offering a good story. We're offering Jesus. We're offering Jesus Christ, the only one that has the power to save, the one sent forth from the Father. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. May you change your heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. Have thine own way. Brother Phil. Have thine own way.
verse for you, Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live, yet it's not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, listen to the wording loved me and gave himself for me there it is, really the demand for you to live for God is accomplished through Christ who's already in you right? Just submit to him, right? Obey him. Uh, Scott, you and Dana come up here. I know you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <clears throat> Scott uh, has been diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And uh, we believe our God can do anything. Amen? Absolutely. And uh, he's going to have to go through a series of treatments. Uh, if nothing's changed, right? There's going to be a series of radiation and chemotherapy, I suppose, in the goal of taking it out and uh, he needs his church family and we love this guy and this lady right we love them we love you amen so look I want just like with brother Jim Jenkins we want to join with our church family and pray for healing amen so uh, I know this is different but if you can get down here come on down all right put your hands on Scott and Dana and let's pray as a church family I'm gonna try to get behind y'all as you come If you can't come down the aisle, please understand, we, we'd rather you not than fall, okay? Please. Let's pray, church family. Lord God, you are on your throne, and you are high and exalted. Lord the train of your glory fills the temple. And Lord God, we know that nothing can contain you. Lord, your power is beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. Lord, you gave Scott Rookstool life. Lord, you knew him in you before the foundation of the world. And Lord God, as Jeremiah would remind us, you intricately put us together. And Lord God, I pray that, uh, Lord God, not only did you physically make him, but you saved him by grace through faith and brought Dan into his life and blessed him with beautiful children. And, Lord, you've been good to him, and he served you faithfully. Lord, we're not perfect. None of us are. But, Father, we would pray that Scott would be here a lot longer, that, Lord God, there's much work. As he said to me, Lord, we're reminded of, of Acts 20, 24, Paul says, I don't count my life as anything precious, but that I might finish my course. Lord, what's important is that we finish what you've called us to do as your people. And Lord, I know that's Scott's desire, but Father, we're a little selfish. Uh, we, we want you to heal him, Lord. We don't want any residual effects in his body to cancer. But Father, we put this before you. And we have to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we have to submit to you as our God. And Lord, we just pray. Lord, your word tells us in James to come around those and the elders and the church members to pray for those and ask for healing. And Lord, we're not bashful. We're not ashamed to ask you, our God, to heal Scott. And Lord, in the meantime, God, give him endurance. 
uh, to be able to withstand radiation and chemo. And Lord, may it shrink. May it be able to be removed. We pray that maybe that will do the job altogether. And no surgery will be required. But Lord God, uh, we're here as his church family. We love them and we pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As we dismiss today with this prayer for Scott, let's also remember the one who will answer those prayers as we sing a verse to finish out the church's one foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died.